Hello, my name is Matt Brown. I'm the founder of Global Progress and a senior fellow with the Center for American Progress. Welcome to the Recovery Project podcast. The Recovery Project is an initiative launched by Canada 2020, the Institute of Fiscal Studies and Democracy at the University of Ottawa, and Global Progress. Our goal is to look ahead from the COVID-19 pandemic to think about how the recovery can help us build stronger economies, democracies, and societies. Today, we are taking a break from the COVID-19 crisis and turning our attention to a different crisis, the protests across the United States sparked by the senseless murder of George Floyd. Today, I'm joined by two dear friends from America, Amy Dacey, the Executive Director of the Science Institute of Policy and Politics at the American University in Washington, D.C., and Mathoni Kroll, National Political and Organizing Director at the Democratic National Committee. We'll be discussing how this latest crisis in race relations is impacting American democracy, the media, and the, the upcoming presidential election in November. Mathoni, Amy, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Well, look, I always usually start these conversations by asking my guests uh, how they're doing. I think given all that you are experiencing uh, in Washington, D.C. these days, it seems like a, like a, a very appropriate question today. How are you? Hi, Matt. Uh, it is so good to be with you, uh, and thank you for all of uh, your kind notes that you have been sending to me. Um, uh, I am, I'm, I, I think I'm doing, and, um, you know, and I, I've said to my staff, which is a pretty intergenerational staff, that part of it is just the Gen X in me that's been sort of socialized in this way. Uh, I definitely have a different way of showing up right now than, you know, the millennials who work for me and even our boomers who work for me. And so um, I think we are all uh, in our own way, though, still doing. And um, that's incredibly important because I'm tasked with kind of what I see as the third phase of um, where we are absolutely going to get to. We are in the anger phase, we are going to head to grieving um, pretty quickly, especially given that today is the funeral, uh, the first of three funerals for George Floyd. Um, And, um, you know, and and I I feel on the precipice that um, a lot of this is driving towards what will we do? Uh, And um, that is a big piece of what uh, our work is focused on. And so we are trying to continue to honor all that is happening right now uh, as we think about our work ahead. Yeah, Matt, thank you for having both of us on. It's it's good to hear your voice, Mathoni. I know we've been texting too. Um, you know, I'm fine. I, I think that what, uh, you know, I am don't understand what this feels like for so many um, in the community and, and how they're struggling with trying to find ways to support and help this, um, you know, strong voice that's out there and, and trying to, to talk about and really address issues that, you know, have existed for so long in this country. Um, being in the nation's capital, of course, we're used to having people share their voices here. Um, but I have to say this is also different this time um, with the leadership and, and how they've reacted to this. We're in the middle of a national, you know, election. There's been so much going on. And then certainly with, you know, the COVID and the health pandemic and the economic crisis, this is just so much. So I think a lot of it is trying to figure out what's the best way to contribute, move forward and keep, you know, the work going, um, you know, and, and support people like, you know, Bethonia and others who are doing that. 
Well, look, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're, you're both well and both, uh, both coping. Uh, it's uh, obviously, uh, those of us outside of the US uh, are confronted uh, by, uh, by the images uh, uh, of protests, of violence, uh, 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 even against protests acted by security forces. And obviously, we're, we're worried for those uh, that we, we care for deeply. Um, uh, and it's, it's sometimes difficult to get a real sense of, of how that feels on, on the ground. Mathoni, you, you, you mentioned that today is, uh, or at least that today as in the day that we are, we're recording this, uh, is the uh, funeral of, uh, of George Floyd. Um, you know, the, the protests um, uh, about his murder have been going on for several days now. And, uh, and from outside of the U.S., Feels as though something is different this time. You know, we, we this is not as we all know. This is not the first time that a, a black man or a black woman uh, has uh, has been killed uh, unlawfully uh, in police custody. Um, yet, pre, you know, previously, even though we've seen demonstrations and protests, uh, it hasn't delivered the change that one w- would hope in, a, in American society and democracy. Yet, yet, this feels different. Is that right? Does it does it feel different to you guys? And if so. What, what is different about about the circumstances that we're, we're witnessing today? Um, we're at a boiling point um, for so many reasons. Um, there is a uh, there were two previous killings um, that occurred uh, that I think really uh, brought this to the fore. Uh, Ahmad Aubrey. Uh, Breonna Taylor in Kentucky, and now George Floyd. And there was already um, activism that began with Ahmaud Arbery's murder. Uh, And while that wasn't at the hands of the police, uh, it was one where where the people in charge um, did not take the action that should have been taken. And, um, and so this wrongful death and this continuous line uh, in a time where we are already disproportionately impacted as African-Americans uh, and in so many communities of color across this country by COVID, by this pandemic, by this leaderless uh, pan- uh, response to the pandemic uh, that could have been um, you know, so it could have been had uh, uh, there was so much inside of this that uh, did not need to happen. So many deaths that could have been prevented, and our communities are being so deeply impacted. We are seeing families, mothers, uh, fathers, sisters, brothers, cousins, uncles, aunts, uh, funerals that we cannot attend. We are already in a state of grief for so many other reasons. Um, we are looking at historic unemployment rates, and we are looking at a workforce and a frontline workforce that is also uh, so much of it black and brown. So the level of day-to-day anxiety, fear, um, and stress has been extraordinarily high for the country even higher for those, again, who have been disproportionately impacted. And so, you know, at this juncture, um, to see this police officer and the brutal and 
and, and, and the message that it sent for him to have his foot on this man's neck um, was a video and a, a visual experience that for so many of our Black men in particular was a breaking point. And we are seeing, I think, in this moment, uh, I saw a poll that uh, over 70% of the country supports the protests. That is also unusual. Um, that injustice has been laid bare. And um, that I think this president in particular has brought us to a real inflection point as a country as we continue to figure out and answer the question, who do we want to be? Yeah, I, I just would agree with Mathoni in this. This is not just a moment in time. This is an evolution of this, you know, of a community that's constantly, you know, um, under these amazing amounts of stress that these incidents have existed. There's too many examples, you know, to point to. I think the other thing that's very different this time, you know, Mathoni, your point as well, this is sustained. This is over several days. This is in all 50 states. We're used to in DC people coming to the nation's capital where the, you know, elected officials are to talk about, you know, and for them to reflect. But we're talking about communities all across this country. My hometown, there were, you know, um, protests where our police chief, you know, went with the community. So this is happening all over. And I think that that's an important aspect to this and the context of what's happening as well. There is so much going on in this country, as Mathoni pointed out, 40 million Americans, one in four, you know, um, dealing with a financial fallout with this healthcare pandemic. Um, and I think the other thing is is the outrage that you know people are are focused on the you know the negative aspects sometimes to these protests. But there was early on, you know, Colin Kaepernick went down on his knee at a football game. That was a very nonviolent you know way that we started this conversation in some respects, and people weren't listening at that point. So there's and and the difference is the armed forces and you know the conversation around our national leadership around how they're going to engage and have you know the military play a part in this. This is all different. And I think that we'll see that there's more of a conversation happening around it because of all these aspects. Yeah, and I'll add one more thing, Matt, and that is that the president himself has also added um, to this moment, uh, because he has done nothing to heal, uh, America's wounds. He has done nothing, um, to, to condemn the racist violence that launched these protests. He has, he has sown division, uh, and incited violence, uh, by threatening to have protesters shot and attacked by vicious dogs, quote unquote, and ominous weapons, quote unquote. Um, he has encouraged police to get tough, which by the way, it's not the first time that he's done that. He has joked about police violence uh, and has a history of these veiled threats. Uh, he has threatened to deploy the U.S. military against our citizens who are exercising their constitutional rights. Uh, and as a country that was born of protest, um, there is a lot about what this president has done that has, in fact, I think only grown um, the amount of people who are joining, whether physically or whether they are just saying enough is enough.
let me just pick up on the on that last point. Um, you know, uh, General Mattis um, uh, wrote a, a prominent article um, that was published in the Washington Post, I believe, this morning, basically arguing that the American Constitution was was under threat. Uh, that this uh, this moment uh, that America is experiencing right now is a culmination of. You know, three years of a president that has actively sought to, to divide the nation rather than, than bring them together. Um, you know, I, I wonder if you'd both like to reflect on, on that a little bit, but also on, on, on the point about the Constitution. It's a country that was born out of protest, yet many of us who have seen the rise of authoritarian and, and illiberal states here in Europe uh, look at these threats about the use of the military and force and wonder whether you know what will happen in the days to come will will the army overreach will it will, will they follow should trump order uh uh them to do so would, would they would they quash these protests and, and 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 breach people's first amendment rights how how do you see that that playing out well you know i think you've you've got leadership here that's constantly challenging the Constitution and what the limits of their authority are. We have divided government. We have three branches of government. And I think sometimes one of them doesn't, you know, realize that. I think General Mattis coming out and the timing of his remarks was very important. I think some people had hoped he had done it sooner. But, you know, I think at this point, him weighing in about the the abuses to, to you know, the constitutionality of all of this. But I think the other thing that was really important in his remarks was also about how this is a president who's never tried to uni unify this country. In fact, it's uh, been more of a priority to try and cause division and strife. And I think the interesting thing is this is a former, um, you know, uh, Secretary of Defense. The current Secretary of Defense is also in disagreement about his use of military force. But I think you've also seen, you know, whether it was the healthcare portion of, you know, the, the COVID pandemic, um, this president has also challenged, you know, uh, governors and local communities and their ability to, to you know, um, figure these these things out for for their community and what's best. I think a lot of local communities, if they need help, can ask for help. There's there's a reason why he went to D.C. because he feels he can do these things, you know, because of the status of D.C. And I do think that this is important to understand that so many you know, individuals in the in the military do find this troubling. Um, this is one aspect of where the overreach is, you know, a, a concern. Uh, but again, the division that Mathoni, you know, talked about earlier, there is no empathy here. There is no words that have come out about, you know, the victims, you know, in these in these crimes, the people who lost loved ones, the people who lost their lives. Um, and, you know, the the stunts that seem to be happening or the reaction uh, walking across, you know, uh, the park to go to a church, they seem to be in reaction to things that the president doesn't like, doesn't like that people, you know, are um, talking about why he went down to the bunker at a, you know, point in the last few days about what was, you know, happening. Um, again, you have a leader, though, who used much of this rhetoric in 2016 to try and win an election, tapped into an anger and an anxiety and angst in the electorate and challenged, you know, uh, authority. But, you know, to, to be an incumbent and say you're the law and order candidate, it seems to be, you know, an incredible challenge. He is the incumbent, you know, he, he has to be responsible for the, 
situation that that we're in for some of the challenges that we're facing and take ownership over it. And I think in a stark contrast, whether it's General Mattis, whether it's, um, you know, Vice President Biden or, or former President Obama, former President Bush, um, you know, everybody's kind of been weighing in and trying to show a leadership that's in a strike contrast to what the ideals of the current administration are. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, General Mattis uh, described Trump as a threat to the Constitution. Um, I think that this president has, <laughs> he has long ago showed us that he is willing to undermine the rule of law uh, and national security for his political gain. Um, and that is not just him, but his administration, um, congressional Republicans, they are more than happy to go along with him. And so we have seen not only the appalling silence of the Senate majority, um, but we are looking at uh, a U.S. Senate Republican majority that is continuing to try to figure out how to manipulate um, this moment where uh, the, while the president is continuing to distract people and to put people in harm's way to carry on with antics, um, meanwhile, uh, they are doing as much as they can to try to dismantle uh, the ways that we as a people will be able to strike back. And that is obviously by voting in November. Uh, and they are continuing to leave the doors wide open to um, interference and foreign interference to uh, trying to uh, scale back our abilities to vote by mail, even though we have a president and an administration that themselves voted by mail and they carry on with antics about fraud, which have been disproven over and over and over again. So, um, you know, another sort of important part of what we uh, will have to do uh, is, and I know that folks will be ready for it, um, because they were ready before this. And uh, there were so many who already understood uh, the importance of protecting um, our democracy, protecting our access to the ballot uh, in the time of a pandemic, and figuring out how we were going to expand ways for people to be able to exercise their rights. Um, but this is certainly nothing new uh, for this president to undermine the rule of law. Yeah, thank you. Um, you mentioned the role of the Senate. I noticed that um, Tom Cotton, uh, I think yesterday, published an article in the New York Times sort of calling for the army to intervene. So it's not just that, I guess, uh, Republicans in, in Congress are, are silent. They're, they're actually enabling or even supporting the, the agenda. But there's also been a great deal of criticism uh, about the role of, of the, the media in this as well. The New York Times has come under criticism for its headlines and coverage trying to show both sides of, of an argument when there may not be at least two equal sides to the argument, let's say. Um, the role of social media, uh, whether they're going to... Facebook has refused to uh, to uh, censor any of the uh, of the, the posts by President Trump, but Twitter has tried more aggressively to, to counter some of the misinformation or some of the, the disinformation that he spreads. It, it, what do you think that we're learning about the U.S. media uh, and its role in, in democratic debate through this? It, it certainly seems that the, the sort of criticisms from all sides, uh, you know, whether that be uh, de Democrat or Republican, seem heightened about the, the role of the traditional and the, the new media in, in America at the moment. I was on a call with uh, 
we did a black press call yesterday and um uh, one of the guys who he's worked for the Atlanta Journal Constitution, he's now um, based elsewhere, um, really laid out a very poignant case for um, a couple of other pieces that we ought to think about. One was calling on the media to um, to go against its instincts to, to go for the sensationalized uh, versions of the story, uh, and um, because the visuals of of looting. At, Etc. Um, are very tempting for uh, these news outlets to cover. Um, he, you know, sort of gave recognition to that, and at the same time, uh, called on again for uh, much more responsible journalism. Um, and and then kind of dug into the fact that uh, you know another part of our vulnerability right now is the fact that news media has been so consolidated. And that we have lost so many of our more local press uh, folks and outlets. Um, and we have absolutely addressed the fact that uh, these platforms have been, I, I mean, I, I don't even, I try to sort of watch my words here, but I, I can't when it comes to Facebook. It is just appalling um, what they have allowed to take place on their platform. You know, that Zuckerberg was on the phone with President Trump saying, you're making it tough for us. But at the same time, they're not taking the actions that they should be uh, in monitoring their own platform and taking far more uh, aggressive actions against disinformation. Um, Twitter has been okay, uh, not great. It has been only as of late. Uh, that they have uh, engaged, um, particularly uh, with some of the more egregious pieces of what the, the president has been saying. And, um, you know, and so we are uh, pretty, we're pretty locked in that battle um, of really pressuring these platforms um, to do the right thing. And at the same time, trying to inform uh, our, so many uh, of our communities so that they don't fall prey uh, to the um, vulnerabilities of disinformation and um, just passing things along. And I think that there have even been some really strong um, lessons learned during this protest time um, when, uh, you know, we have seen that it has been proven that there have been false stories put out about Antifa, um, that there have been, you know, uh, hashtags that got started that then interrupted the ability for Black Lives Matter to use their hashtag to help keep their um, their activists informed. And instead, it was like, you know, being utilized in, to kind of uh, to talk about something else and to change the conversation to these black boxes that laid out uh, the states where people needed to vote. But that is not what that is for. Um, so, you know, there have been some awakening moments for people about passing information on without sort of checking it. But the broad responsibility around the press and the story that they're shaping and therefore the political sway that they are bringing um, to this, to those stories and to painting these uh, and painting uh, looters as the same as protesters has been abjectly irresponsible. Yeah, I would 
say that that I do think that one of the biggest challenges here is that we have seen the breakdown in local media in a lot of places that these platforms have kind of taken over as an information distribution center where there aren't checks and, and accountability. You know, the traditional media is supposed to fact check and report what the information is that's happening and let people have the information so that they can make their own decisions. The challenge for us in a lot of ways, and, you know, we're, I know that, um, the, the parties and candidates are thinking through this at all level is, you know, with these challenges with this pandemic, in a lot of ways, we were isolated for a long time. And and the use of virtual communication was so important when we don't didn't have other means that we would traditionally, you know, turn to. Hopefully that will be changing, you know, over the next several months and we'll be able to have some more one-on-one conversations, be able to be more out in public. But these are kind of the delivery mechanisms that, you know, we had to kind of get the message out. I think in a lot of respects, uh, you know, giving a platform to uh, President Trump, you know, in a way that, that yes, he's, he's the president, so he can have a daily press conference, he can have, but you have to make sure that there's ample time for, you know, uh, the story to, to get out. And to me, you know, a lot of these ways, the these platforms have become organizing tools. So I, I think that they do have a responsibility, you know, to make sure that there's the correct information out. Again, you know, my biggest concern for the fall is people's ability to vote, to have access, to have the right amount of voter education. And if they're getting information from these platforms, it has to be accurate. I mean, Bethany's the one who brought up, you know, this challenge to vote by mail. We've been voting by mail for decades and decades. This is a, you know, and and if that's, you know, the path for a lot more people to feel secure and safe about, you know, being able to vote, whether that or in person. So we've got challenges ahead of us. And I do think that the media has a special responsibility and has to, to think of this. And if they don't think that they're they're under attack as well. I mean, you can see what's been happening at some of the, the protests. Um, and, you know, um, uh, how they've been trying to, you know, in some instances, silence from their ability to report what's happening. So this is a critically important part of this. I think the media has to make sure that they're um, doing that. But then these platforms have a responsibility as well. And I do think that they're responding in different ways. And, and you know, we have to, to make sure that, that we're holding them accountable to do that. It's just too important with everything that's happening and things are evolving and changing all the time. We've had misinformation and disinformation in campaigns, you know, for all the history. But the fact that these platforms can get information out very fast. And, you know, we do have not only with, um, you know, uh, our administration, but, you know, certainly with uh, a lot of state and local candidates they are running are willing to put misinformation out and walk away from it, not correct it, not, you know, be held accountable. Um put out information that can be damaging or um, create perceptions in the, in the voting pop, you know, population that's inaccurate. And so we have to be diligent about that. Yeah. And I will add, I mean, this is exactly why the DNC, we sort of came to the conclusion that we were going to have to do this ourselves. We were going to have to, on behalf of our democratic ecosystem, really help lead in a very strong way. Uh, and we established a counter disinformation unit 
um, inside of the DNC, and it is led by our chief security officer. Um, they are working with civil society and law enforcement and social media platforms um, to try and identify and monitor and disrupt these efforts. But I mean, the amount of <laughs> material that we've had to have pulled down, um, you know, is is astounding. I mean, we our research has led to takedowns of four thousand plus account suspensions alone. Uh, and that's just one example of what we've been un- being able to do as we look at, uh, as we use our, our threat detection uh, methods um, to really make sure that we are, um, you know, there's a lot of folks that are just relying on us, our other committees and uh, our state parties and so many others that don't have, um, don't have that kind of bandwidth um, to do what we are doing. Yeah, and I think, you know, Masoni, the challenge is, right, you're spending those resources, time, staff time to do that, but you also need to get out um, the message that's the proactive message about what do Democrats stand for? How do they share their values, you know, um, of people and, and help them and the education process for different ways to vote. So balancing that and taking down misinformation while you also have the responsibility to get out so much positive forward thinking, you know, um, information is is a challenge and you have to balance that which is a lot to do we have and i but you know i will say this that some of the largest responses that we have seen just even with our um, community engagement work have been the calls that we have put together around voting reform and um and uh, you know i'm talking like some of our largest registrations for these calls and a lot of engagement um, so that is, you know, the good news, but there's so much else that, um, that is also happening right now. And I think, you know, something else to just lift up is that during this pandemic voter registration and the typical ways that we do that, which is, you know, outside of the grocery stores and, in all of these locations where our, our people and our communities, uh, gather and go, um, that is also being challenged right now. So there's a lot that we are, uh, thinking about. And so when I say I'm, I'm doing, <laughs> there's a lot that, that we are responsible. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's some positive too, right, Mathoni? I mean, the elections on Tuesday, you had people waiting in line, you know, um, making sure that they did. You saw what happened in Wisconsin. So it's, it's not a deterrent, you know, for people who want to be a part of this process and, you know, know the importance of it. And I think even with some of these peaceful protests that we've seen happening recently, it's been so good to hear the leaders talk about voting is is one of the, the main things that we have to do every community to make change. And I think that that's been woven throughout the conversation, which is a huge, huge, uh, important part of this. Well, well, let's talk a little bit been more about the election and not just the the sort of challenges of uh, that the online uh, environment presents uh, uh, or that the pandemic presents to the sort of more traditional ways in which voter registration has happened. But let's talk about the sort of big picture of this moment uh, uh, in U.S. history. I mean, how do you see uh, this moment, these protests, the reaction to them? How how do you see that impacting the, the presidential election? How, how will this play out over the next four or five months? Is there a momentum now to really change direction in the country, to realize um, that we've reached a point where you cannot go on down this path and things need to change? I think that there is, um, I, that, there, that people are, um, are really looking for um, a different way forward. And um, I... 
I, I think that we are we are seeing in Vice President Biden and even in former President Obama, I mean, the amount of people who are just clamoring to hear leadership <laughs> again and to hear not just complete sentences, but that part helps, um, but to really hear um, to hear leaders that 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 have uh, a, a core and a center, uh, a moral core and a moral center, um, and who are ready to uh, take action uh, to deal with and to address the fact that we have systematic racism and economic equality, and um, that we are going to have to outlaw a lot of these laws that have enabled, um, you know, our police culture to exist as it does. Uh, and that's just one piece of what people are going to be looking for. I cannot, uh, the economic challenge that is, is around us and in front of us is enormous. Uh, and it is not getting better. It is getting worse. Um, we have, you know, we are at over a hundred thousand, um, who have died from this pandemic so far. Uh, and we have no idea if there are additional waves. Uh, and so going even into November, the, the instability that is around us right now is so palpable. And there is, I, I, I cannot even begin to see a scenario where, this president who thus far does not have a track record for solving or being or, or, or demonstrating strong leadership uh, would have us in a position where people would feel uh, any more secure. And that is a very important motivator for folks. Uh, and not only that, but the fact that there is so much self-organizing happening right now uh, in Minnesota, I was just talking to one of our members yesterday, uh, one of our regional leaders, uh, DNC leaders in Minnesota, Ron Harris, and he was just sharing with me um, all of the ways that people are organizing themselves to help one another in, through this time. Uh, and it is, you know, you, you can't pack that back up. That changes you. Um, when our neighborhoods are coming together in these various ways. When we're standing out on our porches and protesting together, um, not only this pandemic, but and lack of leadership, but uh, you know, also celebrating our frontline workers and um, this sort of bond that has come uh, from being in this uh, incredibly stressful and anxious uh, situation together. All of us touched by it um, has. I believe fundamentally uh, changed uh, a lot of uh, of us, and um, and that that will show up uh, in our choices around who we want to lead us forward. Uh, and I don't mean this simply for the presidency. I I imagine that I mean we have seen already in these elections um, a huge surge. Even pre-pandemic, we were. Uh, off the charts in terms of the numbers uh, and folks and their voting uh, in these primaries. And uh, that has not seemed to slow down. Uh, and we have been able to win some really important uh, elections since then that really seem to reflect um, the values that folks are heading towards and that has changed. I think that the, the 
the awareness and the and and just the amount of activism will really just I, I think it will go into the fall into this election. I think there's so much, you know, at stake. And to Nathoni's point, you know, so many people have been affected by, you know, the people that have lost their lives during the pandemic, the first responders, the people who've had family that, you know, were sick. I, I think in a lot of respects, you know, you've seen this um interest and willingness for change. And this, there's definitely been, you know, I think an overreach with the the current leadership um, and people, uh, you know, feel affected by decisions that are being made by, by those in government, you know, at the national level and also, you know, at the, at the local level. And elections are about contrast. And if, if, if anything in the last several weeks, you've seen this incredible contrast contrast between the type of leader that Vice President Biden will be and the type of leader that we have in office now. And I think that that is not only at the top, but, you know, as as we go forward, just the speech that, you know, he gave in Philadelphia, Vice President Biden, the the empathetic solution driven, he's already bringing in people to talk about, you know, and, and in a sense, you know, is somebody who wants other people in his orbit advising him where we've seen the rejection of a lot of expertise, you know, from, from, uh, this president to, to not listen to some of the experts on this. There's just definitely more of a consensus inclusiveness, you know, so with, uh, vice president Biden. So those, you know, if it's about contrast, there's a clear message that they can, you know, put forward and people can make that, um, decision. I think in a lot of respects, you know, you've also seen just the the chaos and decisions with even, you know, the national convention um, and how suddenly they're going to be visiting 10 cities in the next, you know, several days to find to try and find a place to convention and just how that's not even being thoughtful about these communities that they're going into. And then just the state of, of play, you know, uh, a recent poll had Biden up eight points. I think people sometimes forget how hard, you know, in challenging the elections, you know, and uh, were for Obama in both 08 and 12. And at the same time, it had him up only 1.4 in, um, and 1.3 in those elections. So there's definitely an interest in a change in leadership. I think you've also seen, to Mathoni's point, in some of these other elections, uh, Congressman Steve King losing, you know, his uh, primary election. There's definitely a sense that this type of leadership, this this um, type of decision making, is not welcome. Now we've got, you know, we talk about November, but people will be voting earlier than that in September. So there's this window about this activism that has to happen, and I think the challenges campaigns have met the challenges with you know, some of the campaign uh, tactics not being available to them. But I know that, you know, uh, Vice President Biden's been reaching out to communities, you know, even virtually however he can. But I do think it's about people in their communities having conversations with, you know, uh, their their uh, community members, and there will be an interest to vote, and there will be an interest for change. There's just too much going on and too much at stake to do that. And so as we kind of move forward, People will be voting sooner than, you know, we realize. And, and I think in a way, traditionally, sometimes all the campaigns that any unit I worked on together, they say it's in the fall, people start paying attention. I think people have been paying attention. They're paying attention now. And so we're going to have a heightened sense of awareness around this election at all levels of government. And I think in a very real way, people have a new understanding of what their local government is responsible for because of some of the challenges with the pandemic and, and you know, with, um, you know, the violence and the protests that we've been seeing, um, 
that's what's at stake too, is that people understand what government, you know, can do. Uh, and, you know, as an institution, people have been, you know, questioning the role of government and its, its ability to, to do good. So I think a lot of that will come out in the election as well. Oh, I, I mean, look, it, we often have said that elections are about kitchen table issues. I mean, when we are looking at an unemployment rate that has tripled to 14.7%, I mean, 1.9 million Americans filed for unemployment last week. And if you're breaking that down around black and brown communities, we are looking at over, I I mean, I'm sorry, fewer than half of all African-American adults now have a job. I don't even know how you began to make up uh, in the runway of time that this president has uh, between now and September and then October, November, when people are voting this kind of abject failure. Well, look, um, we have reached the end of our, our time here today. Um, it's clear that the, the challenges uh, facing uh, the U.S., uh, are great, or whether those are economic, democratic, or, or indeed even public health. Um, and Mathoni, as you said, today has been and is a day, a day of mourning for the loss of, uh, of George, George, George Floyd. But, um, I guess, you know, what I take away from your closing remarks is that what we're witnessing now is going to be a catalyst for change. Um, people are hungry for a change of leadership and for a change of direction. Um, and I'd just like to thank you both uh, for the time you've taken today uh, at this difficult time to, to share your your views and, uh, and visions with us, uh, but also to thank you for the work you're doing to, to make sure that uh, something positive comes from this this tragedy um, and that the, uh, the country changes direction. So thanks from me and thanks from, from all of our listeners. Um, and please uh, be well and stay safe. Thanks so much, Matt, for this opportunity. Yes, thank you. And thank you for the work you're doing. We we know very well the world is watching as well. And I hope that they saw Attorney General Keith Ellison yesterday when you want to talk about a beacon of hope, uh, seeing the upgrading of the charges for the officers involved in George Floyd's uh, death is very important. And to then look at who that leadership is. And that was one of our great Democratic leaders. And so um, the contrast could not be more clear. So thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This has been the Recovery Project Podcast. Thanks also to our audience for listening. To learn more about our work and the change we are hoping to achieve, please visit recoveryproject.org. Be safe and take care of one another.